Today's message is kind of a summary message, okay? And uh, it, I just wanted to complete my thoughts and share this with you that building authentic community, I don't think is too hard to do. And it pains me to go to church to church, fellowship to fellowship, and you, it's, it's, like, it's like community is like a, a box of chocolates. You really never know what you're going to get. Um, and it pains me when you want to invite someone to church as well, right? It's the same thing. You never know what that person's experience is going to be either. And it, comes, it sometimes makes us hesitate to invite people to our fellowship because you know that there's a... EGR or two person in the church or in the group, extra grace required, right? You just uh, not sure of what authentic community is going to happen. So with these few slides, we've went over where we went over uh, the biblical basis of community, why we need to get together. So I shared the four C's of the body of Christ once we come to know the Lord and follow God. We're part of the universal church, the community, in all parts of the world. The local church is God's, uh, our physical evidence of God's church as we get together with local people. The small group becomes our church family. If you're not part of one, consider uh, getting together with others. This is how we live out our Christian life in committed relationships. This is how we are to know and be known by others only in a smaller group of people. Uh, you may uh, bemoan the fact that there are, let's see, two, four, six, two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven, twelve people here. But guess what? Large churches, they bemoan the fact that they're so large. And they say, you really won't find connection until you get into a group, smaller group of people of about 12 people. <laughs> so you, you have that built in. This is what large churches long for, is connection. And they talk about this uh, periodically because just coming to large group church People are attracted to that for whatever reason, uh, the speaker series, the worship, the music. That's what gets people in the door, but they won't really stay and find true community until they uh, get involved with a smaller group of people, support group, Bible study, etc. We discussed that it is uh, essential, vital, and eternal to be connected in uh, the body of Christ. We're not to be Lone Ranger Christians, right? But we are be, to be connected. Um, my last slide that I shared uh, a couple weeks ago said, uh, look for and join a group of believers that is safe, confidential, and that there's a little bit of structure. I changed a couple words here, is simply create and lead a group. You don't have to wait to find a group that's like that, because in fact, honestly, they're kind of uh, rare to find. Otherwise, you just kind of leave it up to, uh, 
you leave it up to chemistry, okay, right? Um, Willow Creek, a mega church in, I don't know, Midwest or something like that, wrote this big book, uh, small, How to Do Small Groups. And it explained over a lifetime of small group participation, you will gain authentic community. Well, you don't have to wait a lifetime. I mean, that's just sad to me. It's sad if they don't provide support, accountability, discipleship, and just a little bit of structure. So you can do that, like I said, simply by asking for confidentiality with your prayer partner. And if you lead a group of two or three or more, um, simply add that, hey, this is going to be a confidential group, and when we share at this level, we want you to not interrupt. And that is the key, is not interrupting. Because what people do, like I said, the five levels of communication, cliche, facts, opinions. These right here, number three, this is when people interrupt, okay? They listen to form their opinions about what they're hearing. They judge what they're hearing, right? Good, bad, right or wrong, and that's how they respond. So this is what we need to do. When you're the leader of these groups, when you're the leader of twos or threes, expect confidentiality and enforce a little bit of structure where people don't interrupt and it keeps people from judging. I want to be a part of these types of groups. These are the pair partners that I want not to be judged or interrupt or invalidated. That's the kind of the uh, communication term, right? We want to validate people with their experience. The wonderful Chinese character I have been using ever since my days at City College, when I learned this from not Chinese school or a wise sage, it was in my Communication 101 class. <laughs> they have this... Uh, uh, Chinese character in the book, um, odd place to learn about Chinese characters. But use your eyes where we're seeing one another. Uh, a singular focus where we're focusing on each other. The heart, we're listening to emotions and we're feeling. We're listening with our ears. This king uh, character in the corner is we're respecting the person that we're listening to. So summing up, small group ministries, I believe with the smallest common denominator of church health, any church, you could build your church one small group at a time, okay? 12 or 10, another 10, another 10. This is how you build health in any church, whether it's 100, 200, or 500. You need to have... Uh, this little bit of structure. And this next slide is my philosophy about church health and church growth. It's about, yes, small group ministries, but it's something you can take control of um, proactively yourself. If you build in these five key relationships, I believe it can be uh, organized in a small group, 
So the small group isn't necessarily the saving grace, but it is a certainly an organizing principle, you know, five or ten people or so. But I think what's really key is investing in these key five relationships. Um, it kind of comes from, like, my study and absorption of Rick Warren's purpose-driven church. He has five purposes of building a church, right? Worship, membership, maturity, service, and outreach, okay? It kind of comes from that, but not exactly. Again, I don't think there's much accountability in that model because you can learn that principle. You have the books on your shelves, okay? You could, you could organize around those principles, but the in individual member doesn't have any accountability to live those things out. I have boiled it down to if you invest in these five key relationships, five key relationships in your life, I believe you will be building not church health, but you will be building Christian health in your life, okay? Number one is obviously investing in your relationship with God, obviously. Number two, here's a new term for you, investing in a Barnabas partner. What's a Barnabas partner? Well, Barnabas partner is not the pastor. It's not someone you're serving. It's not someone you're rescuing. It's not someone who's parenting you. Barnabas is someone who came alongside Paul in ministry. It was his ministry partner. Barnabas Partners is like, uh, in Rick Warren's purpose-driven model, is simply fellowship. Fellowshipping with one another. This is a Barnabas Partner, okay? All right? The person is, you know, there's no power differential. We're just going out and fellowshipping. You guys come to the church and fellowship. Uh, we go out to the movies together. That's fellowship. That's a Barnabas partner. It could be an exercise buddy. It could be your foodie buddy, whatever. <laughs> it could be whatever uh, buddy. Maybe you uh, uh, decide to walk your dogs together because you have a common interest. Maybe you decide to go walking together because you have common goals of fitness and exercise. That's a Barnabas partner. A Barnabas partner, there's no, they're not your teacher, they're not your mentor, they're not whatever. Um, they're just friends in the church. So developing your relationship with God, you guys understand that, it's obvious. Church fellowship, making friends in church, that's a Barnabas partner. You guys understand that. The next three, the first two are easy, all right? The next three are the ones that are going to supercharge your Christian health. Not church health, but your individual health. Having these key relationships, developing it with God, but yet not being isolated, right? I'm not a lone ranger, but being connected and making friends in community. That's a Barnabas partner. Number two is a Paul-type figure in your life. A Paul-type figure in your life. Who was Paul? Well, he wrote 80% of the <laughs> New Testament. 
Paul was a pastor to pastors, right? When you hung out with Paul, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, he wasn't just your workout buddy. Well, maybe he was with Barnabas, right? Ministry buddy. When you were with Paul, he was a saint. <laughs> you sat at his feet, just like Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Paul was an icon, a pastor to pastor. It's important to have a Paul-type figure in your life for accountability, because we all need that. Without accountability, are we going to wrestle Satan on our own? The Bible talks about that. If we wrestle Satan on our own, we're going to lose. We need support. We need accountability. The Bible says, be careful that you're standing. Uh, I love the, uh, the word study that, that uh, Gary gave today. Anastasis reminded me of the Disney film Anastasia. That's probably what it means, right? Anastasia? Sounds pretty close. Anastasia. Um, be careful if you're standing that you don't fall. We all need accountability in our lives. Whatever it is. We need accountability to, as iron sharpens iron, to spur one another on toward good works, right? Because left to our own devices, we are often not that successful. We need accountability to our spiritual growth, our personal growth. We all need a big brother or big sister, all right, to help mentor us along other terms for a Paul-type figure. It could be uh, reading. I have, uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned Reverend Saab. He was not the greatest speaker. <laughs> he had speech in front of it, okay? Uh, if, you, uh, if, if you followed him, he's not a very strong leader, okay? But I wrote on my Facebook post, if not you, then who? There were no leaders at this time after World War II. There were no Christian leaders, let alone Christian leaders. Japanese uh, culture is Buddhist and other things and, and things like that. But Christian leaders, they were absent. But Reverend Saab filled that gap. We all need an accountability figure, a Paul-type figure, a mentor Someone to look up to, and this is what Reverend Saab provided for many of the Asian, especially Japanese, youth after the war. Secondly, the fourth relationship we need to invest in is a Timothy. Paul's relationship. After he became a pastor to pastor, he had a relationship with Timothy, right? The whole book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. He poured his life into someone else. He mentored Timothy. So we need to continue doing that. Having a, uh, someone that we um, uh, pour our life into. Typically, a younger spiritual person. They could be older than us, but typically a younger spiritual person that you pour your life into. I'll give you one example. When I was the uh, caregiving pastor at First Baptist Church in Elk Grove, um, I shared this story before, but an older 
I was given the responsibility of the seniors ministry for some reason um, that I don't understand. <laughs> I was probably 45, at, less than 45, and they gave me charge of the seniors ministry. And uh, I was conducting a morning Bible study, and uh, uh, Jim, I mentioned this story before, he started to attend a new person attending this group, and we found out that he had cancer, and we found out he had terminal cancer. And I was just scratching my head thinking, you know, more Bible study isn't necessarily what he needs at this end of life stage of life that he was in. He needed a support group, so we started a cancer support group. I had another friend who was also going through cancer, and him, her, myself, we started a group. We started birth another support group. So that's where he needed to be. So he was much, he was my senior, but I was mentoring him in this sense, kind of guiding him where he kind of should land in his final days, going through terminal cancer. And I also suggested that he go through this 12-step program <laughs> uh, called Celebrate Recovery. And like you, he reacted, why do I need a 12-step Alcoholic Anonymous program <laughs> at this stage of my life? I'm going through cancer. His initial reaction was, you're crazy. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. But through conversations with him, I described the program, and he went through it, and he went through reconciliation. It's a very reconciling, you know, when you're faced with terminal cancer, uh, people often say, you know, have you made your peace with, right? Have you made your peace with God? Have you made your peace with your family? And this is very much what he used the, this Celebrate Recovery program for, was to make peace with God, make peace with himself, and make peace with his immediate family. There's that step of taking a fearless moral inventory, asking God to forgive those things. There's a step called making amends to other people that we have hurt. So a Paul-type figure, a Timothy-type figure, someone you mentor. Often it's youth. Pastor Saab, uh, again, wasn't the most dynamic speaker in the whole world. <laughs> but he was a loving role model to many of the Asian-American community after the war. Very much like I appreciate Bruce Lee, who uh, lifted up the human spirit with all those that he taught, including Taki Kimura, uh, this older Japanese-American who was disheveled, low self-esteem after the war. And Bruce Lee said to him, dude, get some new clothes, get a haircut. Don't walk around with your shoulders slumped. Dude, you're no better, no worse than anybody else, is what he told Taki Kamara. 
You're no better. You're no worse. You're you. I digress. Bruce Lee, back to, let's see, Saab Masada. Saab Masada provided these opportunities and organization for the church. He's a very loving, loving person. And as a young person, I remember visiting that church and, I don't know, being involved with their special camp ministry and whatnot. And uh, hearing an encouraging word from him when I was a young person was very encouraging. I appreciated that. Lastly, the fifth most important, I, I believe, for personal growth, personal health, not church health, not church growth, but your own growth, building your own temple, your own life, God's temple in your life, being invested in God, being invested in fellowship, having a Paul figure in your life, someone to mentor you, a Timothy, people that you are mentoring. The Bible talks about women, uh, mentor, take care of, teach the younger women, okay? We should continue to be doing that. We should be having a youth fellowship for the young kids to participate in because they need something to do. If they don't hang out at your church youth group, guess what? They're going to find some other group to hang out with because that's what young people do. The way you could tell you have a reasonable Barnabas partner, okay, I'll just talk about examples. The way you can tell you that you have a reasonable Barnabas partner, is it called a seesaw? It's called a seesaw, the, the, the childhood uh, toy at William Land Park, uh, Thunderland, a seesaw. The way you could tell if you have a, bar, uh, a decent Barnabas partner is that you share equally with each other. When you're on the phone talking with that person or over coffee, just kind of get an idea how the balance of sharing is going. Is it all about them and you're doing all the listening and they're doing all the talking for an hour? And then if you share something, is it, uh, do they really listen with their eyes, ears, and heart and care about what you have to share? You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, when that one person calls and it's just all about them, you know they're not an equal Barnabas partner. They're looking, I don't know, it's, a, it's an unequal, balanced relationship. You know, they're wanting your time, energy to listen to, their, to your problems, to their problems. But look for that relationship where you have an equal back and forth, where you can say, hey, this is just between you and me, and do they really keep your confidence? We talked about a Paul-type figure. It could be a pre, it's like a priestly figure. You know, we go to God. It is like God's representative in the flesh. That's what a priest used to be, is a go-between between people and God is God's representative. Um, could be a pastor. Another easy way to say it is a big brother or a big sister, all right? A big brother or a big sister. If you have age on your side, or it might not even be that, but it could just be a sense of maturity about you in whatever field, you can be placed in that role. If you're a retired accountant and you're good with finances, you could be that 
People put you in that role. They, get, they ask you advice about financial things, right? Maybe it's a Barnabas partner that you ask, that you ask to put in that role. Maybe it's a friend that you've trusted that you ask to hold you accountable for, I don't know, all the things that we need to grow in, <laughs> which is a lot. Diet, exercise, anger management, managing our money, being accountable with money, being faithful with it, being generous with it. In the 12-step program, they say you're really not working the program until you get a sponsor, until you get a Paul-type figure, a mentor, an accountability partner for the program. People that join groups that talk they talk about the program. They have the lingo. They say they're really just faking it until they get an accountability partner. The 12-step program are action steps. If you haven't gathered that by now, they're action steps. And people that join your groups that talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, until they get an, a sponsor, they say they're just faking it. And I love that scenario of that because it's very much like the Christian walk. Christians can talk the talk. They can get the lingo down, right? But until you get similarly serious about it, ask for accountability, a mentor in your life, and go through, say, a discipleship-type program, we can just fake it. It's very easy to do that whether it might be managing our hurts. This is what the Celebrate Recovery program talks about. You can use it to manage your hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Now, how many of us don't have any of these, right? Our hurts, habits, or our hang-ups. This is what the 12-step recovery program can do for us. Or maybe it's simply being disciplined to read through our Bibles, right? Not being dependent just on, I don't know, Sunday morning of what I prepare for you. A, a little snack, <laughs> a meal for you. But to uh, read the Bible on your own. Maybe it's simply having a Barnabas partner and holding each other accountable. Right? To be on a steady, maybe reading through your Bible in a year's time or something like that, right? Maybe it's something like that. Um, but I mentioned Pastor Saab very many times. He, by meeting him, he, he's kind of like uh, Moses. He's not an impressive speaker, <laughs> okay? Like Moses, he had a speech impediment program, but God called him to lead Israel. It's a fascinating story, right? of encouragement, of being that leader, is uh, he provided Aaron to be the spokesperson because Moses had a... Now, Saab was no Moses, okay? But he did have a speech <laughs> impediment, very much like Moses did. And God used him anyway. A great, great story. The last key... The f five key relationships that I believe that if you build in your life will add to your uh, spiritual health. 
investing in God regularly. Second is a Barnabas partner, making friends in the church, having friends in the church, being connected, not a lone ranger. Number two is having an accountability person in your life, like a Paul-type figure. Turning that around is mentoring, investing in your life in the next generation, having a Timothy. And the last one is a neighbor. Jesus told a very famous parable about a neighbor, right? The Pharisee asked, who is my neighbor? Then he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. So when we have a small group, we always have an empty chair. Often we forget about that, right? Right? We come together. We have our small group here every morning. We have lots of empty chairs here. (laughs) But do we really have that mindset of an empty chair? That person that could be exposed to God's hope, God's love, God's care. Do we really have that mindset? I don't know. If you had a visitor come, do you have anybody welcoming them? Do you? We have lots of empty chairs, but do we have that empty chair mindset? When we have fellowship time, do we have opportunities for people to you know, mingle with each other. Refreshments, I've been encouraging you guys to have. Obviously, we talked about that afterwards. Maybe before, people are too busy doing other stuff. They don't have, <laughs> it didn't, didn't work out. Do we have that empty chair mindset? So in the whole idea, okay, if it doesn't happen here, well, let me back up. We have had visitors, right? You have had visitors in the four or five months that I've been here. Do we have that empty chair mindset that we want to care for our neighbor? Is there an assimilation process that we do? This is what we need. We need to have that mindset. I'm not always perfect at this, but it is often at the top of my mind. God gave me this vision of five key relationships adds to our Uh, Christian health. And I think I shared one time, uh, one time I was uh, test driving a car, (laughs) a minivan, and the owner of the place was Arab. And uh, this is the time we were talking about fasting, remember? And uh, we were going on an intermittent fast or whatnot. And uh, I had test drove in the car at like 4 o'clock or something like that. I called, you know, hey, what time are you guys closing? And I go, okay, I think I could be right down there before you leave. And so I test drove the car, and I knew I wasn't going to buy it that day. So I said, oh, we could go back. We could wrap this up. I don't want to waste any more of your time, let you get back home. You can fix dinner, you know, go back to your family. And he says, it's okay. No, no worry. I've I'm fasting until tomorrow anyway. And I go, oh, we were going on a fast. So it was a common topic that we talked about, but the gentleman ended up being a Muslim fat, having a, doing a Muslim fast. He was uh, going through Ramadan, uh, whatever that is. And uh, so my test drove turned my focus and attention from uh, the Toyota van that we were uh test droving to a common interest to spiritual things. I go, oh, 
I told him, I, I was coming off a fast recently as well. And I asked him, what are, you doing, what are you doing your fast for? And he said, Ramadan. I know very little about Muslim religion or have Muslim friends. And I figure I just made a friend. <laughs> so I asked him, I go, what is Ramadan? You know, what's it for? You know, what's the whole idea? And I told him what I was fasting for. And uh, from that little conversation, I started asking him about spiritual things, like how, how do Muslims, you know, get to heaven, you know, type of thing. And we had this interesting conversation, and by the end of it, we found common ground that I felt led, like I said, to pray with him, this stranger that I just met, and 45 minutes before, um, if I could pray with him, that we were both seekers on the same path, asking for God's uh, truth and direction. Um, but having that mindset, I'm not always perfect with that. Um, but that's just one example, having that empty chair mindset. So in summary, it's important that we remain in God's love, because if we don't, we could all lapse into making other people, places, and things our demigods. We can make the church our God, expecting too much from these five relationships that I just mentioned, right? This vertical and horizontal, depending on God and depending on others. I see uh, a lot of parallels between the 12-step community and the Christian community. Step one talks about we admitted we were powerless over our sin nature. That talks about Christian humility. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. That talks about Christian hope. We made a decision to turn our lives and wills over to the care of God. This talks about conversion and faith. Step four, we took a fearless and moral inventory, and we admitted to God ourselves and others, the exact nature of these wrongs. This talks about being honest with our sophist sin nature and confession that we talked about before, right? Catholic Church have confession, but um, it's something that's totally absent from our Protestant experience. Steps six and seven, uh, seven, seven, six and seven, we're ready to have God remove all these character defects that we contemplated about. This talks about repent, true repentance, thorough repentance. Talks about, uh, I think we talked about Psalm 51, right? David's confession, and when we read that, he didn't talk, ask for God's uh, forgiveness just about his sin. We talked about that in Bible study, right? He says, I have sinned against you and you alone, he didn't even mention about the sins he did about <laughs> against uh, Bathsheba, Uriah, committing murder, all these other things. It was kind of an odd, odd thing. But he talks about, I have sinned against you, God. Not just these sins, but my sin nature. He says, I was sinful from birth. So he's, he was mournful of not just a few sins, like, Oh, God, okay, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did that. Now I'm good to go. He was mournful about his sin nature. 
And then steps eight and nine, making amends. Where is that in the Christian faith, <laughs> right? <laughs> we talk about forgiveness. Making amends, I don't know if I've ever been taught in the Christian life about making amends. We talk about forgiveness, right? We talk about grace. We talk about all these other things. But making amends, wow, for the harm that we've done to others. That's like a deeper and richer view of forgiveness, isn't it? Wow. Asking forgiveness of someone else and making amends. A few more here. Step 10, we continue to take an inventory. And that kind of wraps us back to step one again, or, or step four again, rather. And it gives you constant humility. It's not just a one-time thing that you did. It's this maybe an annual thing you can do. This moral inventory and set your goals. Ask someone to hold you accountable for. Step 11, praying for only God's will and the power to carry it out. This is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And step 12, to carry this message that we experience to others wherever we go. That's a, that's, that's a step 12 of the 12-step program. And what is this about the Christian faith? It's about outreach. And back to our five relationships. Very uh, parallels even these five relationships that I mentioned. Remaining in God... Barnabas partners, meeting in a small group community, a Paul-type figure having a sponsor, a Timothy sponsoring and mentoring others, and finally reaching out to our neighbor. These are the five key relationships that I wanted to sum up uh, this series with you all. So I hope that's profitable for you. If you took any notes, it's those five key relationships, investing in God, seeking a balance, relationship in God, Friends, like a Barnabas partner, a Paul-type figure for accountability, a Timothy mentoring others, and our neighbor. Um, this is from the book called Fighting for Your Marriage. It's called The Floor. <laughs> if you're ever in conflict with someone, it doesn't have to be in a marriage situation. It could be in a work situation. It could be parent-child relationship, parent-teen relationship. It's called a speaker listening technique. It uh, adds a little structure to the conversation. Rules for the speaker. Speak for yourself. Don't mind read. Rule two, keep the statements brief. Don't go on and on. Rule three, stop and let the listener paraphrase what they heard. Rules for the listener. Paraphrase what you hear. Number two, focus on the speaker's message and don't rebut, all right? Don't rebut and challenge what you're hearing. Only listen. Rules for both. The speaker has the floor. <laughs> Whoever has floor has floor. Next, the speaker keeps the floor while the listener paraphrases. And then rule for last rule for both is to share the floor. That's called the speaker listening technique. It adds a little bit of structure to uh, relationships. 
So thanks for your kind attention. We talked about a lot of things. Uh, today was, like I said, a summary type of message, uh, hopefully bringing um, a lot of these concepts together, uh, focusing in on these five key relationships. Next week, we start our study of the book of Acts, all right? All right, let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for uh, gathering together, uh, being part of your body and this local body. We think about Saab Masada, Reverend Saab, who went to be with you and leaves a legacy of being a leader in your Christian, in the Christian Asian American church in the San Joaquin area in Stockton and Sacramento. We thank you for his example, his encouraging words that he was a, not only a friend, but an encouragement, an accountability partner, someone who taught the Asian, Asian American community about godly things. So we thank you for his life that he gave and his legacy. God, we pray for um, and thank you for these godly relationships that you give in our lives to give us not only church health, but um, Christian health in our walk with you, to be invested in you like uh, a tree planted by streams of water, God, who bears our fruit in good season. This is what we uh, seek. We thank you for the friends we make in church. We seek out, God, mentors in our lives to hold us accountable. As iron sharpens iron, and we look for others to uh, mentor as well. Finally, God, we think about the empty chair, the empty seat in our pews. God, that mindset of always want to be open to bring others into the fold, God to experience your grace, your love, and encouragement. So these things we ask and pray. Amen.